The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. And normally at this stage, I'd be letting Tarek introduce himself. But this week, in fact, our very special guest is Tarek Ashkanani himself. Because, as we've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times, Tarek's debut novel, Welcome to Cooper, is coming out on the 1st of October. And if you're a Prime subscriber on Amazon, then you can actually get access to it already. So I would highly recommend it. And we'll obviously talk about the book in the main part of the podcast. Um, If this is your first episode of the Page One podcast, uh, we like to talk to writers of all kinds about their writing process, how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And because this is such a special episode uh, and because Tarek has got his debut novel out, we thought, why not get Tarek on and talk to him? Find out your secrets, Tarek. <laughs> finally got the big guests in. I'm glad we've taken us 84 episodes to get this far, but we finally got, <laughs> finally got someone real big on the scene. Yeah, this will make or break us, I suspect. <laughs> so I, I am going to follow the usual structure because I think that's what our listeners would want. But obviously, I imagine we'll go off on more tangents even than normal. But um, I don't really need to introduce you to Tarek if you are a regular listener because uh, obviously, you know, Tarek and I are both writers and uh, Tarek has been trying to be a writer for a long time I think so normally I open the podcast by asking did you always want to be a writer but I think the answer is probably yes although you took a very odd path to it yeah so I definitely always wanted to be a writer as a kid I loved writing and I had what was probably the um the saddest boy scout badge which was the the writing badge so everyone else had their camping and athletics etc and i was just writing star trek stories so if you were like trapped in the woods you you wouldn't be able to survive but i would write, write a, hell a good of a story, story. <laughs> <laughs> they'd find me dead with a, with a notebook full of stories strapped to my belt uh, no Good. so i so i that i definitely loved 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 to write and i would like you know growing up in high school english was my favorite subject etc so i don't know why i then left school and did science as a as as a course at university that it was one of these things I look back on and, you know, I enjoyed it a lot and it was great, but um, I kind of wish I'd done something at that point a little bit more connected with writing English lit or creative writing or something. Um, and then I did that for four years and then when I came out with that, I, did, I knew I didn't want to be a scientist, so I thought, well, this is my chance to decide what I want to do. And so then I blew that second chance as well when I went into law. So that was another 
Massive mistake. I, I, I should jump in at this point because I think a very sensible person tried to talk you out of that. <laughs> oh, that's right. We had a conversation at a birthday party and I told you I was thinking yeah. of being, going to law and you said, don't do it, you're a fool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Tarek and I are both, or we're both lawyers. So, uh, yeah, Tarek came to me for advice looking for, I think, <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. And I was immediately like, don't, you'll regret it. I don't know why I didn't listen to you. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, law is great and it, it's, you know, it was a really, I did enjoy it again quite a lot. I enjoyed it more than science, actually. But um, there's always that part of the back of your mind that's like, this isn't what, Oh, I want to do you know this isn't mm-hmm. like the where where I see myself forever or full time etc. So um so yeah and then through all of that I'd always been dabbling with writing stuff. I'd never been able to finish a book or anything. I'd always been short story stuff or I was really bad for like writing stuff, starting to write stuff, and then another idea would pop in and I'd leave it and I'd write something, start writing something. And I never finished anything, and uh, and it wasn't. I was it was not long after um, starting law that um, I did a. Uh, creative writing course and it was a um well it was a it was a more of a, a writers group type thing and so each week you would go up and there would be a um a theme or a topic for that week and you would have to write a short story for the next again week and it was just a it was a way to make you write something every week and then you would share it with the class next week and so, was was there any um you know what, what was there any teaching with that course or was it simply a thing of like this is just to try and get you in a regular routine. No, there was a there was a teacher running it, but it was he. So he was and he was good because he would kind of be like, right. So next week we were going to write horror stories. So like, and he would give you examples of good horror stuff to go and read to kind of get the idea of what it was, and maybe he'd have a a discussion going about what makes you know a good horror or or what people look for in horror and 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 what people think about it and different types of horror. But it could be psychological jump scares, that kind of thing. So there was definitely a little bit of kind of kind of teacher led stuff um but it was always just really pushing you to like to where to go to read stuff or to get a you know like a conversation going so it was it was but it was really helpful and and having that having that deadline of you've got seven days or two weeks whatever it was in, in between the, the the groups to to write something was great but and, and and i needed that i found out i needed that kind of kick up the arse to be like get it get something finished because I, I, without that i really struggled to finish anything so that was really good and i did that for a good couple of months actually i went to that and and then one week there was the topic was a detective story we were going to write the next game week and so um i wrote a a, a story um about two cops in a small town and a girl who ends up being found dead with her eyes scooped out and Nice. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of a bit, you get a bit worried when these kind of horribly dark <laughs> ideas pop into your head. Um, and then I handed the kind of hand that one in, and the the guy was like, "Oh, that's you know, it's fine, but it feels like it's the start of something. It doesn't feel like a complete story, and it, it felt like it was almost the first chapter or something." And and I kind of went away from that, thinking, "I wonder if I could take this a bit further and uh, and where it would go." And that was the. That was the very first, I suppose, opening chapter. Very, very different chapter now, obviously, but that was the first kind of, you know, start of 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 the book. But but had you been writing uh, before that, or was that that course that, that that led you into your writing? You know, throughout your your teens or, or or everything, were you were you still writing? I know. In fact, you won a, pro- a filmmaking prize, did yeah. you not, when you yeah. were younger? So I, I, I was always writing through school and stuff and short story things, and I didn't really do anything with them. And um, and looking back now, I don't really know. I obviously just wrote them because I wanted to write them. I didn't have any expectation of where they would go. Or maybe I thought one day, you know, they'd submit them somewhere. But um, I definitely, I always just did love to write stuff just for the sake of writing it. And yeah, there was a competition I entered in, in high school, and it was, um, you had to submit a wee 10-minute script thing, and then... Um, you meet, you got funding. I got about five thousand pounds. I think I got for to make this ten minute movie. But so me and a bunch of pals from school made this film about. It's called The Soul Owner, and it's. I mean, it's absolutely dreadful. It's. Uh, but it's one of these things. Where I think all you can see is, is it on flaws. YouTube, Tarek? I uh, actually, it might be. You know what? It was at, so. So we made it, and then and then it's about a guy. I, I played. I also played the devil in it, 
So oh, nice. I, I gave myself quite a nice part in that as well, which is quite nice. And then writer, director, actor. Yeah, exactly. Talented it's a guy. Real auteur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then so I I um I pop up at a bunch of kids in a in a lunchroom who are moaning about wanting to sell their soul to the devil for stuff and I give them promises and then they become super successful and then I come to claim their souls type thing. That was a story. You know, I mean, not, I mean, basically, just a complete ripoff of, is it Faust? It's just the, it's just, it's not even a new story. It's literally beat for beat. And it's always, something that's already been done. But I, uh, and then we, we made it all and stuff and it was, it was great and everything. And, and then it was on BBC Two at like two in the morning at some random, there were, it was, must be part of some wee film festival thingy. And, um, and I remember like after that, like years later, so I was in like, this was like 16, years old or so pretty young and then about five six years later I was in a nightclub dancing and some guy came up to me in the dance floor and was like you were on the tv last night and it was it must have, they must have <laughs> seen my film and he was really recognized me in the club and i was and that, <laughs> and that was that moment i was like i was like oh, i feel like a total like an absolute celebrity in this night tom cruise here. yeah totally, exactly <laughs> uh, so yeah so i was always doing stuff like that i always wanted to write and stuff and then obviously we've written a few stuff together mm-hmm. as well June, uh, a few scripts together and other sort of pieces but yeah so there's always been I've always just really loved to write and and what was it about the story that you you know did that story that you were talking about uh, which which became the start of Welcome to Cooper which we'll talk a bit more about what was it about that particular story that sort of stuck around and said this is the one I want to work on I don't know I think I've always really enjoyed like dark crime i think that's always kind of been stuff that i really enjoy watching or or reading and so i suppose and and psychological stuff like sounds of the lambs you know that kind of like dark um kind of crime but not not your police procedural uh type type crime but that kind of more psychological and a bit more kind of horror almost that i really enjoyed that. i really always have really liked that stuff so i suppose when the topic came up in the short story class uh, that was that I knew I kind of wanted to go down that path and that kind of um, that that type of crime rather than like a rebus type crime or like a, that, mm-hmm. a more a um, conventional pl- conventional police police procedural story. exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, and I think I'd also recently just watched I think I'd watched seven because in the original uh, draft it was raining whereas it's in the final book it's snowing but there was a lot of rain so I had I really liked that kind of noiry and also stuff like you know, early confidential James Elroy, that kind of stuff. I um, I love that kind of feel, that kind of noiry, dark. Yeah, well, I was I was going to ask you about that um, because it is the writing in Welcome to Cooper is is very um, spare and you know in your face. And there's what, what struck me about it, and I I have said previously, I hate you because it's so good, <laughs> but um, is there is a real voice there from from the very start of it. It really pulls you in, and it not only is it a distinctive voice; it's a voice that takes you right into that sort of story, because it's grimy, it's dirty, it's short. It almost can't be bothered sometimes to tell you what's happening. And yeah. It, did it take you a while to find that voice? Yeah, totally. Like I, I probably spent, I probably started writing the book proper in about twenty thirteen, and. Um, it, it probably took me about four years or so of record of, and that's me working on it on and off and so. But and I'd, I'd written a couple of drafts of the full thing, and it was I wasn't really happy with it. It was kind of just, it just it didn't have a voice at all. It was just kind of it was kind of there and just a plot. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I knew it wasn't it wasn't good enough. And then I read um, so I'd, I'd watched True Detective, and I loved that. And then I read. Um, the guy who wrote it, Nick Pizzolatto, he wrote it, and I think he wrote it the whole thing, and the whole show. He also written a book called Galveston, and so I, I bought his book and I read that. And as soon as I started reading that book, I was like, "That's the this is the voice that I want." And it was that mm-hmm. kind of, um, kind of similar voice. It was that kind of talking to the reader almost a little bit, like, um, you know, kind of like a lot of very slang, a slang language, not really, as you say, not really bothering about stuff, just skipping over things, getting to what interested the the main character. And I, and I never really read a book in that voice before. And, and, and I've found that voice similarly. Now I've read stuff like Early Confidential and stuff. It has that, that similar kind of like yeah. bleak, like 
you know, really, um, really sparse tone. And uh, and after reading, after I read the Galveston novel, I was like, that's the tone that I'm been looking for. For my that would fit my book perfectly. And that's what I wanted to do. So I actually ended up just trying to copy that at first and trying to write it in that style. And it took me probably another couple of drafts to kind of to change it from just being my take on his voice yeah. to try and finding something that w- had my own voice in it as well. And 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 I, and I honestly, if I hadn't read that book, I don't know if I ever would have found the voice that worked. I think worked really well in the book. Um, and so it's a case of, I mean, everyone always says it, but you know, read read in the genre that you want to write in. If you, if if a, if a book really clicks with you what why does that book click with you what is it that you love so much and 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 write write a book that you want to read and you know mm-hmm. don't worry about your audience but write something that you that you want to read and and you you will find a style and a voice from that i think and i mean we've talked around it a lot but i mean i suppose we should tell the listeners do you want to tell the listeners what welcome to cooper is about so um it's about a cop thomas levine who is uh, sent to the town of Cooper, Nebraska, as a sort of kind of punishment almost, and um, when he and he's got a whole backstory, a, a whole sad kind of backstory, and he's a bit of an alcoholic. He's, he kind of ticks all that, all the boxes for that kind of noir, sad down his dumps, you know, cop, and um, he he ends up in this town and gets involved in investigating the murders of a of a young woman who's been found with her eyes scooped out, and it's those connections with an older. Serial, serial murderer who who worked who was who was out who was active in the area a number of years earlier and he's working with a new partner and his partner is quite dodgy. There's ties to organised crime and that kind of and so it's about him trying to solve the murders, uh, uncover the kind of vein of of uh, kind of darkness that runs through the town and everyone's up to something etc. And uh, and at the same time he's getting more and more caught up in the in the darkness and he's making mistakes and then he's getting implicated and stuff and he's trying to get out from underneath it all and clear his name and, and find the killer etc so it's that kind of you know everything just crashing on him at the same time and he's trying mm-hmm. to solve a crime and get out from under it all, all at once yeah and it is it's, it's a very uh, dark uh, book but you know it, it's it's compelling it's very compelling and oh, thank you. I, I, I've said it before you know, if you are a fan of things like True Detective or more recently Mayor of Easttown on TV, um, I think it's got, it, you know, it shares a lot of the same type of storytelling as, as those ones. It's yeah. a small town atmosphere. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's, you know, everything's sort of insidious and closed in um, and just try, the main characters try to get out, but they're a broken person. It's, it's you know, it really is... Uh, a brilliant book, first well, of thanks, all. Man. Um, but I was going to ask about, um, you know, you had that that first chapter, and th- which changed a lot, as you said. But I mean, from from that sort of spark, how long did it take to develop a full novel's worth of story from it? Probably quite a while. I think. I think I probably. I think my problem was that I was I was working. Um, nine to five obviously as i was writing it and so i was kind of writing it um in the evenings a little bit or um on, on the weekend and and i probably didn't put as much time into it as i should have to really get you know i could have written it a lot faster if i'd really kind of focused and it um i remember i was reading i was uh, i was reading arnold schwarzenegger's autobiography on the train to glasgow and uh and it's a brilliant i'm not a big massive autobiography fan but i'm a massive arnie fan and it's a brilliant book and uh he has this whole bit where he talks about how like he'd been laughed at his whole life every time he wanted to change because he starts off as this little poor farm boy and then he wants to become a bodybuilder and everyone laughs at him and then he does it and then he wants to become an actor and everyone's like laughing at him. He does it and then politics, etc. So every time he jumps a new kind of genre, everyone says you can't do that and he proves them wrong. And he says if something's important to you and something that you really enjoy, you just make the time and you do it. And that was basically what he was trying to say. And and I read it on the train. And I was like, "He's actually, he's totally right." If I want to finish this book, and I need to, I need to just write it. I, I'm, it's going to take me years and years of pissing about doing chapters here and there, type of thing. So I started spending my time better on the train every day there and back. I just put some words down, and it, so it probably took me another 
from starting start to finish it probably took me a year or two to write the first draft probably and at a point when I was actually happy having done the whole thing and it, it read okay and stuff and then well probably wasn't until when did True Detective come out and that must have been well, that was actually quite early on when did it be, so it was probably another three it was probably three four years from start from starting writing it to having a draft in that voice that I really liked mm. and I was and I was really happy and I kind of really felt like this is I've got something I can work with here and it's not just as you say it's not just plot on paper it was quite a process and I think now looking back uh, it didn't need to be that long it was just a case of I just wasn't putting the time in and and, and and part of that was maybe because I didn't I didn't feel comfortable what I was writing. I didn't really like it. it. Once I found that voice, it became a lot more fun to write, a lot more easier, yeah. and it came a lot faster. Um, yeah. But, but I, th- I think that's probably true. You know, we've spoken to people on this podcast. You know, that, that first book always takes yeah. uh, well, you've, longer. I mean, you've, you've, you've written a few books yourself. It is, it's a long yeah, process. Yeah, no, it, it is a long process. And when, it's, when it is that first book... Or, or when it's a book and you've not got any definite output for it, if you like. Not that that necessarily is the goal when you're writing it, but, you know, if it's just a, quote, hobby or something, then it's it'll always fall down the list of priorities. Yeah, And yeah, I think totally. what I find with writing is that you must make a habit of it. You yeah. know, you, even if it's not something you can be bothered doing that day, sit down and write. A hundred words. Yeah. Get something on the page, yeah. and you can you can wipe them all out the next day. But it, it's that um, consistent process yeah. will get you, and it, it's what helps you find your voice. Because as you write, you start to drill down into what what is it you're actually wanting to see with this writing. So, yeah, I, I think it is. It's it's doing it consistently, and actually. You know, that job in Glasgow, which uh, I, I know <laughs> was interesting, um, but but in a way, uh, that was good because it gave you a set period totally. every day. Yeah, to, there was to an hour write. in the morning, an hour in the evening where I had nothing yeah. to do, but, you know, I could easily write. And yeah, and, and you're totally right. It is. It's just about, it's a routine. And it's why someone like Stephen King puts out thousand page books every year because he just mm-hmm. sits nine to five and you treat it like a job. And... You know, and, and and both in terms of like the writing time that you spend, and in terms of like marketing it, publicizing it, like emailing yeah. people, like being a professional. I think that goes all the way through, and I think that's the only way to really make a proper career of it. And I suppose now's a good time to ask them what what is your process? You know, and. I appreciate that writing that first book, the process will have been very different maybe from, from how you write now. But, you know, what is it? Are you someone that likes to try and get a vomit draft done and then revise, revise, revise? Or, you know, do you try and get quite a clean first draft? I definitely go for the vomit draft. I, that's the part I hate. I hate the most is the that first draft that I really struggle with. And that, um, getting it down on paper, I'm I'm really bad for writing a paragraph out and just being like, ah, oh, that's, that's shite, and just wiping it away again and starting again, and and taking, you know, half an hour to get a chapter going rather than just spending that half hour just blasting through it and fixing it later. And and I've started to get less precious about that now, I think, but it's it's still something I struggle with, and and I definitely prefer, like, I really enjoy the rewriting part of it. That's the part which I really like because I feel. I'm just going back and the hard part's done. The book's there. I'm just having to go back and just have to excavate all the crap away from it and just get so You never to the... get to a bit where you're like, oh God, this is this bit that I, I just well, the... I skipped over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to actually have to concentrate yeah. on this. There's definitely parts, there's parts of, as I go through, I'm like, I'm going to have to go back to that and I'll have to add a scene in there. And then it comes to write that scene. And I think, I just do not want to write this scene. Just... Yeah. And I don't know what you do there. Do you... So I, well, what I have in the past, where I've, or I've, I know I've had to write a scene and I just can't get it to work. As I've just tried to, I've almost tried to put like a flash or try to fit that information in other places where it would naturally come up if, if I can. Because if, if, if I just don't, if I'm not enjoying writing a scene, I wonder if it means that it, maybe that would come through in the writing of it, and mm-hmm. it would be it just it would be boring to read if, if it's boring to write. It, so. Although I find that funny because sometimes I'll write something that you know, and I tend to write in the evening and. I'll write something that that evening I might be like, yeah, no, I quite like that. And then you come back to it the next day and you're like, 
That is awful. I'm deleting <laughs> yeah. all of that immediately. And I've also had the opposite where I've written something being like, this is just yeah, shit. Yeah, Just exactly. get it done. Yeah. And the next uh-huh. day I'm like, I mean, I don't think I'd change any of this. this yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is perfect. So it is funny. I don't think there is necessarily a, a link between enjoyment or struggling. No, I think, you're probably, and, I think that's right. I, I think that's a good output, point. You know? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's all, it's probably all to do with your mood at the time. Mm-hmm. But as you, when you write it, whatever, but I think when you come to read it, yeah, it's often the complete opposite. That is true, yeah. Which again goes back to what we were saying, which is that if you want to write, write. You know, yeah. even if it, even if you're thinking this isn't working, just get it down because when you come back to it, you might actually think that that isn't bad, totally. or you might think that didn't work. But if it if you think that, then there must be a reason for it, so that should help improve. The yeah, next and also look at folk like Stephen King, etc., who are writing books every year, big books every year. Like they must just be able to. They, I'd imagine for them, there's less and less editing going in. Like they're. The more you write, the more you just put words on the page, the yeah. the faster you're going to get to that final draft first time. You know, obviously there could be redrafts, but I'd imagine he's he he'll be he will write something much closer to the final final version first time than he did twenty years ago. Um, yeah. So so you had the the voice, you had the completed manuscript. What what was the process then? How did you find your agent? Uh, so after that, I just started going through a list of agents and just submitting them one by one and I used um, I think it's called Jericho Writers now uh, but I signed up for that for a little I can't remember what it was called at the time but I, I used them and Query Tracker and and there's I'm sure there's other places other types of software but but they, they were great for both finding agents uh, that would take crime in the mm-hmm. UK and um, and the Query Tracker was great because you could track how long they typically got back when they were open what their submission process was and submit agents it's such it's such a long process and it and it shouldn't be and 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 you think as you're looking at it you're like well this, this will take me 10 minutes and it takes you like an hour per submission because yeah. you're having to you're tweaking your your well you've got to tweak your letter um to make sure you're addressing the person etc if it's if working for them you've got to format your um submission your part of the book perfectly so because every agent wants something different it's the spacing yeah. and the how much of it they want with the pdf word etc so, or it's based on the body of the email so you're having to tweak all that and then you're having to and the synopsis largest page largest stayed the same i suppose but but the it, it's amazing how long it takes and i ended up having like, had like a folder full of like different versions of yeah, the, the first 10,000 words yeah exactly line yeah. spacing a little bit different stuff and yeah, it just takes forever, and so I yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's something that we've spoken about, isn't it? That you know, it, it's a process, and I get why it takes so long for agents to get back to you. Sometimes they don't get back to you because yeah. the, the sheer numbers of submissions that they're getting. But you know, in this age of tech disruption, in quotes, but you know, where where yeah. there's an industry that needs disrupted, I would have said this is something that that must be capable of it in some way totally. without diminishing you know i'm not saying get rid of agents agents are vital but make their life easier yeah. in some way i mean as well. I, to, to, I think that's bang on and you know you, you look at agents on twitter and they're always they're always tweeting that they're they've got too much stuff like they mm-hmm. never no one never seems to be tweeting like oh you know nothing nothing today no, yeah. no books today mm-hmm. so like I, there's definitely so much stuff flying around and i'm sure covid's made it even more so you know but but 100 there there must be a way to streamline whether it's just getting physical body into read stuff or whether it's like a well probably shouldn't we probably should mention our million dollar idea uh, yeah exactly yeah but there's definitely <laughs> there must be ways of streamlining no there, there there must be because uh, you know uh, when you're on that search and we'll come on to your search in a moment but when you're on that search for an agent it's as you say, it's it's very time. It's more time consuming than you think. It's not just a mail merge and send it out to yeah. two hundred people at once. And so there's an anxiety on the part of the person doing the submissions, and on the part of the agent, they've got literally hundreds of these things coming in a mm. week, yeah. and they need to go through them. And that's why some of the, sometimes they won't get back to people at all. Yeah. Um, and again, I think in an industry such as this. In an ideal world, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. They, they shouldn't. They should be at least acknowledging yes, no, yeah. so that the person submitting can then move on. Or totally. are they still ho- hoping six months later that they're going to hear something? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, so you're in the middle of the submission process right now, and 
you know how how many how many times do you sit and you think well I've had nothing back for six months mm-hmm. am, am I going to should I chase them am I going to get anything back yeah. did I get my did they even read my submission or did I misspell a name in the cover letter like you you're never quite sure why it was you didn't pass the yeah. hurdle you know like is it even is it even the writing or is it something about the yeah spacing I just think of the it's, letter it's was a wrong? unique as far as I can work out it's a pretty unique situation you know yeah. you wouldn't apply for a job and just not hear something back totally and you and would say the, you might get a form thing saying no that's you'd always hear you'd always but hear, you would no, always hear yeah, yeah. yeah. And whereas you, and the thing is the reason that's important is that with agents some of them are so busy that it will take them six months or more to get back yeah. to you and sometimes that's a point you know i had someone take my manuscript after i think it was seven months or something so you know, yeah, that was someone that I'd all written off in my head. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and you would and 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 in most other industries, if you fail at something, it's because of the merits, and you fail because you you didn't the job you didn't do the job well enough, or you weren't you didn't have enough experience or whatever. But when you're applying for an agent, a lot of time you're getting nowhere, and you don't even know what the real reason is. You don't yeah. know if it's the if it's the writing, you don't know if it's the cover letter, or if it's a synopsis, and Having that lack of feedback, it's it's difficult because you don't know what to learn, how to learn from it, or how to improve it, and you you know, and it's also just disheartening to go for so long and feel like you're making no progress. Whereas you might be making progress, but in the background, and you just haven't got to someone's density because, as you say, it just takes it's such a long process. I, th- I think that's right. I, th- I wonder. I do wonder sometimes if it's our, you know, our legal background. It, like you say, you want some sort of feedback so that you can take that on board and then yeah. move forward with the next thing. And yeah. if you don't get that feedback, then kind of left blowing in the wind. Yeah. Should I just do the same thing again? Should I tweak and, it? And, uh, Am I making it worse? If I yeah, that's the advice I kept reading online was, you know, send them on batches, small, small batches of five or six. And, you know, then and then wait three months. And then uh, if you've heard nothing back, Maybe have a look at the cover letter, or tweet. You know, maybe mm-hmm. look at the, the draft again. Blah blah. But you're never. But then you're like, well, what? What am I looking? What's wrong with it? What? Am I looking, <laughs> exactly. What do I need to change? You, you don't know. You, you. It's not like you've sent out a letter. You think that'll probably do. Yeah, you've, you've spent a long time <laughs> exactly. putting you've that spent, letter together. Weeks, so weeks now you're yeah. suddenly being asked to revise it without any input as to what was wrong yeah. with it. At and, all. and and um, and I, I spent probably close to a thousand pounds on these editors who you know yeah. you send up. Your novel to or your cover letter to, and they'll they'll look at it and give you feedback, and and that I mean that is helpful because that's at least someone telling you something about about what what you've written and what what you you can improve or what they think is a better way of phrasing something to catch someone's attention. But I mean, you shouldn't have to do that. That shouldn't have to be a well. No, it's a it's a barrier for people. It is a barrier. You you had a thousand pounds to do that, but um, uh, lots of people don't. So exactly. it's, it's very difficult, and that that's not what you want. You want it to be a level playing field for everyone, really. Yeah. But um, we're, we've kind of gone off on a tangent there because you were saying that you were doing this submissions process, so you were sending it out to agents, and um, you know how how long did it take before you got picked up? It probably it took about um, it took over. I think it took over a year total, um, and I probably sent it to. It was about sixty agents in the end. It went to, and. Um, and, and and I think that's probably not that untypical or atypical. Um, it is a numbers game, I think, and it's it's a numbers game because you've got you've got so much stuff. You've got you know the agent you're sending it to might be closed, so you have mm. to wait six months for them to reopen submissions again, or they might have just taken on a crime novel that's very similar to yours and don't want to take yeah. on a second one, or they might you know they might not have clicked with it for whatever reason because they were not in the right mood for it or they read it at a wrong point. You know, because so much of it is subjective. There's no... Which makes it even harder to tweak because you're tweaking stuff, but you might be making it less attractive for them, whereas mm-hmm. with the previous draft it was better. So you, it's, it is a case of just sending out to as many people as possible. And and I think six is probably... I know that there's plenty of people who were well into the hundreds before they, yeah. they found someone. And... You know there is a lot of agents out there, and both UK and I was going to the US as well by the end. And um, it is just a case of getting in front of as many people as possible and tracking everything and um, chasing them up after three months if you've heard nothing to nudge them, um, unless they say don't do that on their website. Which is another th- another thing to track is the rules of 
Yeah, you're meant that's to right. do. You've all got the different, and you're meant yeah. to chase them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I could probably submit to about sixty agents until until someone until until Jamie came back uh, at at percent and said that he really liked it and wanted to uh, to read the rest of it and then and then and then loved, loved the rest of it. Luckily, and he was the before him. They'd been uh, they'd been. I'd, I'd probably had a a handful, maybe ten or so, maybe no more than that, maybe five to ten requests for the full manuscripts, and then. I think one other agent had loved it, but then hadn't been able to convince the rest of the marketing team or whatever, um, and so that kind of died there. So this was a, a, the one person that really loved it and, and was able to sign mm. it, you know, for whatever reason. So yeah, so it's a it's a long process, and it is just it's numbers and luck and getting in front of the right person at the right time, and um, and yeah, and there's no there's no way to fix it. I don't think. And once you've been taken on by the agent, then. Uh, I know in your case there was, you know, you spent a long time rewriting it, and you know, what did did Jamie at Ampersand did he help you develop the story and get it, polish it up so that it could then be submitted to publishers? Yeah, so when I when I was submitting it, it was at fifty five thousand words, which is pretty short, and that probably wouldn't do many favors. It's it, you know, I think for a, I mean, obviously a different genre of different lengths, but for crime stuff, you're it's at least seventy thousand is really the kind of minimum for that kind of thing. So, it was it was on the, it was on the short side. Um, and Jamie flagged it up at the very start and said it is too short. We, you need to add on about fifteen thousand words. But he was like, I know where I would add them in. You know, so that's something we can work on together type thing. So, I think it was a case of of him knowing it, of liking the book, but knowing it had to have work done, but knowing what work needed to be done. And so, we spent um, probably another year working on the book. Maybe a bit longer actually, and then, and he he would just go through. He gave me he gave me like really really good notes about um, throughout the whole the whole manuscript about what needed to be tweaked. Whether it was language for because it's obviously set in America, so it was language for American audiences and uh, the pacing of it, um, and then and points where you could expand, you could build a new bit. So I mean, it it changed quite a bit by the time it was finished. I had on about fifteen sixteen thousand words, and. Um, and there was a whole new, there was a whole new subplot, a whole new, some more kind of obstacles in his way to to get into to the end of the book. There was a new character seen put in and stuff, so it was quite different. And it definitely was a much better book um, by the end of it. And I definitely learned learned a lot just going through that to mm-hmm. uh, help him realize what you don't need, what you can chuck at, what you can do better, what can you can do in, with fewer words. You know how you can. And how 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 to pay something a little bit better, or to just to to keep putting things in someone's way, they have to overcome that kind of that feedback loop. How to how to work that a bit better. So yeah, so we did a lot of work in it, and then uh, about a year and a bit later, we submitted it to publishers, and um, that part was actually fairly quick after a long time. So within within a month, I think it was an offer from from Thompson Mercer from Amazon. Um, and yeah, and so I so I ended up signing with them. And so it was it was a long process, but by the once it was ready, it was a case of you know you can't really, there's nothing more more you can do. It's just mm-hmm. a case of putting it out there and just hoping that you hear good news. And and um, the even when it got to Thomas and Mercer, I think then you had worked with the developmental editor as well. Yeah, so they that it went through another round of edits, another quite a few round of edits, and then they brought someone on. Um, a US guy, David David Downing, who was amazing, and he he was he lived or he knew of the kind of Midwest because I didn't know I didn't know the area at all. So I had written stuff about rolling hills and fields and stuff, and he was like, "No, it's pretty flat, pretty flat there in Nebraska." So so that there was big chunks that I had to get completely changed. It, it moved where it was in the state and everything, and and um, so a lot of the American language stuff was overhauled, and then. Um, and he was just great at knowing. Okay, well, this type of year, this kind of weather, you could have this. This is what the crops could look like. Blah yeah. blah. So all that kind of on the ground stuff was massively helped. Um, and he helped, you know, rejig some of the twists and some of the formatting and how the because there's sequences in between the chapters um, throughout the book, yeah. and he he helped with the formatting of them and 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 how to make a twist work without you know giving enough to the reader but not too much and you don't want them to feel like you've cheated them and so that kind of there's a lot of back and forth about how to how to get how to get the twist at the end working um and then once that was done and we were happy with that then it 
went to um, there was copy edits and there's there's an edit I did where you were looking at sensitivity stuff. So what you were was a language could it offend people? Mm-hmm. You know, was there? Um, it was something I hadn't, hadn't really thought about, and I actually kind of felt a bit bad because I was like, "Could I'm I've used quite a lot of offensive. I've got offensive words, but well, I, yeah, I mean, uh, but I suppose tricky, isn't it? It, it depends because the type of story you're telling, they're yeah. not nice people, yeah, so exactly. They're going and to be offensive, that's it, so. yeah. And you're trying to work out, well, you're not meant to like this person, so he is going mm-hmm. to say stuff and do stuff which is unpalatable. And it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not saying I would do that, but he, no, he's doing it. And and then, I mean, well, obviously, Marco, you, you read in a, an, an earlier draft where the main character beat up a woman quite, quite badly, and um, <clears> yeah, and that that got taken up before he's even sent to agent, I think, but. You are you're, you're trying to work out the balance for a noir stuff. You're like, well, what? How far do you take it? If you want to have that kind of that dark noir feeling, but you you don't you don't want to lose your reader. You don't want to you don't want to have your main character so horrible that nobody likes them and nobody roots yeah. for them. So it's it's trying to make them makes make you make the audience root for someone even though they're not the nicest person. And that, that I struggle with that quite a bit actually. I think that's right. It must be a very difficult balancing thing, but I think, you know, you've got to allow authors to write characters that are not nice. Yeah, you know, yeah. and use phrases uh, which aren't yeah. PC, etc. No, yeah. exactly, because yeah. that's what happens in life. And you're not, as you say, it's not the author's viewpoint in any no. way. It's just no. they're you're trying to tell a story yeah. with these types of characters. I'm, and normally the people that are portrayed in that way aren't, don't end up looking great, and that's what the authors try yeah, to say. Exactly, yeah, they're not. Yeah. It's not like they end up getting the girl and the money. Yeah, and the, exactly. You know, yeah. they are. They, everybody knows they're horrible people, and mm. so it's not. They're not like. It's kind of like like Joker the movie. You know, yeah. he's, he's there's no. We've chatted about this before, but there's no real counterpoint. There's no Batman in that movie no. to tell the audience this person is bad. It's kind of left up to the audience to say whether or not you agree with what he's doing, and 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 so you do. There is. And there's a balance, and, and I think I can see the argument with that film. Maybe there should have been a bit more of a of a note to say that this person's not a, he's not the hero of the story. He is a damaged bad person, but it's it's yeah doing that in a way that's not condescending and stuff is is tough. And I think we are living in a time now more than ever where stuff like that is 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 on everyone's mind. You know, not want to offend people, saying the right thing. It's um it's, it's a real it is a balance to strike, and you don't want to. You get on the wrong side of that, or if people misunderstand what you're trying to do, you it can be really damaging, especially for someone just trying to start off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there was, I can't remember who it was now, but there was um, a, an author whose book was coming out, and basically it got pulled because it was written. A, I think it was written about Native Americans or something, and they weren't from that background, and because of what they'd written. There was a there was a big outcry and yeah. it got pulled. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was offensive. Maybe it wasn't. I know. But the way it was reported, it seemed quite a harsh yeah. thing to well, absolutely pull the whole book before publishing. Yeah, it's a, it's those is it American Dirt, the one about the yeah, the immigrants, uh-huh. the Mexican immigrants. I've not actually read it to be honest, but um, I know that had a lot of flag from certain um, sectors about because this is a woman, a, woman, a white American mm-hmm. woman writing about. Struggles of of of, of another nation, some that she, you know she has no experience of, and and then but and and then we chatted with Matt Ruff before, who wrote yeah. um, Lovecraft Country, and uh, and that's a story set in the deep south with black mm. Americans having to overcome racism, and obviously he's a white American with no experience of that, but but he never had that same um, kind of criticism, yeah. and 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 he he's found a lot of success in that book and the TV show etc. So. It, it it is it's a really tricky. I think a lot of it comes down to doing your research and and trying to be authentic and, but but then but then you can you still never get past that. I'm writing about something which I don't have personal experience of, and some people would say you shouldn't be writing about that. And I, I find that I find that tricky to agree with completely because you, you're always you have to write about stuff. That, that I, I, th- I think it of, depends what it is that you're writing about. Yeah, like I don't I don't think. Um, you know, it, it, it it's necessarily offensive to write about someone from a different culture if you're not from that culture. But if you're writing about something that's key to that culture, yeah, I think and you've not done your research point. and everything, yeah. then 
uh, then I think you're starting to get into a problem area. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's very difficult, and you've just got to. I, th- I think it goes back to you've got to tell the story that you want to tell, and you've got to be happy with the story you want to tell. And then, yeah, the whole point of the publishing industry is it's got these different levels of people, and they can look at it and say, "No, you yeah. can't do that." Or, yeah, still, to be it's there, but it's their ass on, on the line as well in terms yeah. of making any money off it. You know, if, if a book gets pulled because it's not got any, um, or or it sinks because no one likes it because it's racist or etc., then they're the ones who ultimately. Lose mm. the author's got their advance in there, you know they're not done very, you know they've been slagged etc. But but ultimately, yeah, there, there needs to be work. You need to work with the publisher to make sure that you're not putting something out which is which could be deemed as offensive. So I do get that, and it, so that was an interesting edit mm-hmm. to do. I hadn't even realised was was part of it. Um, and yeah, and and as you say, there is that balance between writing something from a character's point of view, not your own. You're not passing judgment. You're just, you know, if, if someone's a horrible person who does horrible stuff. Yeah, there's probably a line you don't take it too far, but yeah, it's it's you shouldn't be stopped from doing that. I think. No, you know, mobster films yeah. are written by people that generally don't have experience of, yeah, exactly. of being yeah. in the mob. Yeah. But you know, uh, yeah. they're horrible people, but they still can make good films. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's all about balance. I think I think yeah. that's the point. But um, so, um, welcome to Cooper is. Uh, now out, you're you're now at that stage. It's sort of in a funny half. Yeah, out yeah. So stage it's out. Just now. So it's out just now for Prime subscribers. They can get the Kindle version for free or the um, paperback for half price. And then on the first of October, it's out for everybody. And so I think the hope is that it gets into a lot of people's hands for this month. And there's a lot of reviews left. So by the time it launches proper in a month, at the end of the month, then it's kind of got a bit of a buzz about it type of thing so yeah and it's been great so i mean it's been i'm addicted to just refreshing the sales uh, feed <laughs> and, the, and the, the reviews is i'm gonna have to stop reading them because i i get so fixated on the poor reviews that the good reviews i i, I kind of read them like oh, of which there are only a couple i should say yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i know exactly that's how bad it is but I, but they they just swell up and that's all i can see and but then then I'm, then I read a review. One star review. What, okay, they really, well, they, I think the headline was "Please don't write anymore." That was the one yeah, that they got. Yeah, that was a particularly uh, interesting. <laughs> but then, one. then I go down and then the they said hole. they'd skim read the yeah, book. Yeah, in half an hour. So they haven't even read it. So <laughs> no, I, I think uh, actually last week's guest, um, Kate Quinn or Kath mm-hmm. Quinn, made the point that you know she looks at these reviews and says, you know, what was it about the book that that attract you know maybe they yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not a book for these totally. people and yeah. i think that you know i i've I've glanced at your reviews and i've seen you know i saw that one <laughs> but i've also seen some really brilliant five-star yeah, reviews yeah. are on there totally, as well totally and it's it, easy to get to miss them and, and not think about and them. i think it is it's just that some not every book is for everyone no. and your your story is that it's a very dark story yeah and, and if it, someone comes to like expecting that. a basic police procedural or something like that then they might be turned off by it and that's yeah. fine that that's not uh, personally i wouldn't give something a one-star review if it wasn't the book that i was expecting yeah, as long as it's if, you it's, if you can tell it's a competently made product yeah. what film or I certainly wouldn't or say this person shouldn't ever write again <laughs> that was a bit personal <laughs> but then the key marco is whenever you do get a one-star review you drill into that person's history spend a good 25 <laughs> minutes to half hour really looking them up find them online looking at what else have they reviewed and if they've and actually this person did also get given one star to ian banks the wasp factory and so oh, it's right, like well right. actually you know what good that's company one of the best books i've ever written isn't it so that'll take that's fine so maybe it's so it's all just opposite that's fine oh actually the, the one what i did laugh at was the person that I'd, I'd also given one star to um this is why I can't keep doing this because I'll get obsessed with it. This person, <laughs> this person's given one star. They, they bought an iPhone 6s case and they gave it one star and said, "Absolute rubbish. Didn't fit my iPhone 6. It was too big. Bought, it was for the wrong <laughs> phone." Because you bought the wrong. Well, there you go. You bought the wrong phone case and the, phone, the wrong book, perhaps. Yeah. But um, so it, it's out properly on the first of October. So if you've not got the Prime subscription, that's when people can get it. Yeah. Um, and. You know that must be an exciting thing. Are you are you doing anything for that opening? So I'm going to we're in the process of organising a a little bit a bit of a party. It's kind of a weird one because Amazon, um, so it's because it's by Amazon that are doing doing the publishing. It's not 
um, one of the normal traditional publishers. And so I found that a lot of the bookstores aren't massively keen on stocking the book. So um, it's you can yeah, buy it from... We, we discussed that because like, I understand it from the bookshop's point of view because Amazon is no friend of Yeah, the they see bookshops. it as the enemy. It's the war but against the high street. It, the only person they're punishing really in that moment is the author who's yeah. a local author. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's quite frustrating. And uh, so you can buy it on like Waterstones and Blackwell's website, but they won't be. They won't put it in the actual shop, and and yeah, and I, and I do kind of think, well, as a local author, it would have been nice to see the book in in bookshops, but you know, I, whatever that that's that's fine. But yeah, as you see, I do think that that Amazon won't really care one way or the other if, mm-hmm. if a small independent bookstore doesn't stock five copies of of of, of the book or sells doesn't sell five copies of the book. Yeah, it, it, it's it's the author who suffers at the end of the day, and that is a shame. But. Yeah, but it, it's 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 fine if you know. I mean, Amazon's not exactly a hard place to order from. Everyone's used no. to, it. and mm-hmm. and it is it's it's the whole Amazon versus the industry is interesting. Um, you know, as from a a writer's point of view, um, you know what I I want to be able to ultimately write full time and make a living off it. And Amazon were the only publisher who offered me the ability to to have a a shot at doing that. Um, in terms of the advance and the reach they have, etc., you know that was the what I thought was my best shot, and so I, you know, you 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 don't really have the luxury of being able to say, well, no, you know, I exactly. wish I wrote someone ethically, who, I'd rather yeah, someone exactly, else. yeah, and I think also when you drill down into every every publisher, it's not like they're all shining shining no. beacons, you know, Absolutely. they're all they're all massive corporations owned by, you know, News Corp, etc., blah blah, so. Yeah, it's 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 quite an interesting. It's easy for people to get in the high horses about stuff like that, but it's it's really tricky when you're in the thick of it all. And at the end of the day, you just want your book to be read by as many people as possible. And you know, I just avoid the politics of it all. To be honest, absolutely. Well, um, if if the if the um, pre-launch or pseudo-launch or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> as is anything like the the real one, then it's obviously going to be a, a big hit, which is very exciting. And uh, what are you working on next? So the deal that I had with Amazon was for two books. And uh, the second book, which is called Follow Me to the Edge, is um, largely done. It's, in, it's being edited with Amazon now. So that's due to come out in March next year. Um, and and then that's, so that's me out of contract now. So what I'm doing at the moment is just... Um, thinking up book three basically and then my, the plan is to try and pitch the third book uh, to Amazon um, with a 10,000 word um, start and the kind of synopsis and then um, hopefully get another deal with them for books three and four. And um, Follow Me to the Edge which I've read a very early draft of is is a, a set in the same world as, yeah. as the first book um is the is your third book going to be in that world as well or is it going to be a, i think separate the idea i've got the kind of rough idea i've got now is that it will be set will be modern day again so book two so follow me to the edges i set about 30 years earlier and but i think the new book's going to be modern day again and it will be very loosely connected to be a character who crosses over but that'll pretty much be it so i don't i never really wanted to write a or I never wanted to be Kind of pigeonhole because that's also the worries that you get you get you get pigeonholed into writing the same series or the same type of books and stuff and so I thought what the, if I use Cooper as almost like a Silent Hill you know a place where stuff happens but it's, mm-hmm. you're always following the cop so I think then in, the, in book three it's not even going to be a cop who's the main character it's going to be like a just a person and and yeah and so I think as long as it's kind of tangent tangentially ta- tangential ta- tangentially linked. Um, that 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 will probably be it. so you can read them in any order. It's kind of to compare myself to Thomas Harris. It's like Sounds of the Lambs and Red Red Dragon. Basically, right. read them in any order. But there are there's a there's a best order to read them in. But read them out of order doesn't really make any real real, mm-hmm. real impact on the plot, etc. Cool. And um, I know also that you're working on some other projects as well. Yeah. Well, um, funny you should mention that, Marco, because of course we are also working on a um, on a book together, Eden, which is the uh, Working title. Working title, and it's a, it's a, it's a. Re- I think it could be a really interesting read. In this, so it's a kind of story of um, a woman who goes off to search for Eden, um, and it's told via the medium of um, diary entries and medical reports and 
uh, radio transcripts, etc. So it's that kind of you. Someone's kind of pulled all this stuff in yeah, a if, if file you've, already. If you've read the books by Max Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, World War Z, as they call it, or um, uh, the Bigfoot one, which yeah, is now Devolution. Devolution. Uh, yeah. um, it's that sort. Of, that's sort of the idea behind it, um, or the sort of story st- storytelling style that we we're working on so yeah no that's quite exciting it's a bit different and yeah because of the style that we're wanting to tell it in it kind of lends itself to being split up between us and we can write different bits of it and stuff like that yeah it's it's the first time i've ever written a book with someone and um and yeah it's definitely i feel this is quite a nice way to kind of like dip our toes in the water but you know because you're as you say it's you're writing you're writing different forms of media transcript or a diary entry and then it's it's easier to pass that kind of thing back and forth rather than you're not trying to find a consistent voice throughout the whole thing or yeah uh, which i think would be the harder thing to do when you write with someone although we've also written a couple of screenplays together and those are those are quite fun to do as a pair because it's a lot leaner it's a lot faster to write than a yeah and I, I think it's it's I, I think that's easier to write together because you're a lot of it's dialogue. So you're yeah. sitting in the room, we're sitting or pre-COVID, we were sitting in the room <laughs> together and we were, you know, you just say, what if this happened? And then you'd sort of play out the scene. Yeah. And you can, and you can act a scene almost back yeah. and forth uh-huh. and see yeah. what a response, someone's response might be. And, and someone will say a line in response that you wouldn't have thought of yourself. So you, it, it, and, and, and also you get ideas. I mean, obviously the, where, where our scripts ended up, on the way there they've went to some horrible places which but you're convinced it's it's perfect yeah. and then only after weeks of actually talking about it you think no that's a that's a dreadful that's, way to yeah. take it yeah the, the the last script we wrote we planned out over months i think and we thought this mm. is the story and then we got to the scene and we were like this is not <laughs> going this, to work was at that, all. we have to rework were, the whole thing everyone is dressed in ma- white masks and reading but reading but over oh, yeah basically Holmes we ripped off the sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> films um well obviously working on a lot and i know as well you've taken a break from your full-time job to try and concentrate on the writing right now um so very exciting times yeah definitely it's be it's gonna be quite a um it'd be quite a fun year i think we've just moved house and it's got a one month old and um and yeah so it's, it's really good timing to take a year off actually to be around to help with that and also um, to have time to try and actually get some get some writing done. So I thought, you know, if this, I might as well try and give it my best shot and then um, see, see see what happens. And then if, if that Netflix deal comes along, then I'll be, just give the lot forever. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> Mayor of East Town style. Oh, that's that's a dream. Dream. I'm sure you've already cast it in your head. Oh, absolutely. Who, who's, who's Thomas Levine in your head? Oh, that's a good Who's Thomas Levine? I mean, you kind of want to go for someone who's... A bit, I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal type character. Oh yeah, quite like a, yeah, he'd be you know, good. Not, think, yeah, yeah. It's quite dark. I'm kind of like a kind uh-huh. of prisoners type, that kind of darkness. Um, yeah. yeah, it's you do you daydream about all this kind of crap, don't you? And what, what, <laughs> what would happen watching that TV for the first time? But yeah, no. And also when we we, ch- we chat to so many guests who some guests who have had their books made into films and stuff, and it must have been amazing things yeah. to see. Just to, I think to see these things these characters and these words that were in your head only yeah suddenly yeah. being on the screen and being seen by other people totally is, and it's something quite amazing. it's quite humbling to see someone else i think so much of it that and and, and yeah. love it enough to then re, to adapt it and to to really put their heart into it and stuff into you yeah. know it's, it must be a really nice feeling yeah for sure <laughs> What was the last book that you read? Which you must have been prepared for this question. You know unlike what? Many of I, our uh, guests. I genuinely, I genuinely haven't. What was the last book that I read? I just finished reading, oh, it was Billy Summers, Stephen King. So I just finished that two days ago, actually. Um, really good. Um, it was, I listened to the audible version of it and the guy the guy was an excellent narrator. Um, it was good. A lot of people are saying it's like Stephen King's best. I don't know if it's, it's probably not my favourite King one. I think that's still probably... Living twenty two sixty three, but it's it's actually similar to that book in quite a lot. Have you, I don't know if you've have you read it at all. No, I've not read it yet. Like, what is it? Is it a more straight? Yeah, forward it's not a tale? horror at all. It's yeah. just like uh-huh. a. It's, it's about a guy who's a hitman who goes off for one last job, and then um, something kind of goes wrong, and then it, it becomes a different story halfway through. And then it um, it, it, it 
it's it's still but it, yeah it goes in a, in a place I didn't think at all it would and it's it's good it's I definitely preferred the eleven twenty two sixty D because it, it which is the which kind of really drills into this person getting ready for a job the whole way through whereas this is a bit more um it kind of wraps up that chunk of its storyline a lot earlier than I mm. was expecting it to and then it goes off left field but no it's good it's it's really it's it's, it's really good um. Uh, yeah, and if you're a fan of King stuff, 100% read it because it's it's probably probably the, one of the better ones I've read him for for a while actually. Yeah, is is no, it definitely is definitely on the list of the very big yeah growing list. Yeah, exactly. Although audiobooks are the way to go. Yeah, I have to yeah. say that for for me, the last few weeks it's been brilliant listening to audiobooks because you just go around the house unpacking boxes yeah, and just exactly, burning yeah. through books. Yeah, it's been good. And uh, what about the last film that you saw? Last film that I watched was it was probably something at like two a.m. I'm actually going to have to pull up my oh crap. What was it? What did I watch recently? I should have prepared for this. It's not like I didn't know what the questions were coming. Oh, it was um, the last one I watched was uh, Velvet Velvet Buzzsaw on Netflix. Oh yeah, I've heard of it. Jake Gyllenhaal yeah, yeah. one. I actually I I, I kind of gave up on it halfway through. Um, partly because I was probably quite tired and also. It just wasn't really clicking for me. So I loved Nightcrawler, which is the same guy mm-hmm. who wrote and directed this with the same a lot of the same cast, Jake Jake John Hall and Rainy Russo's in it. And um and I loved that from that really cool, dark, you know, horrible characters, etc. But um but this one was about the it's set in the art world and it's about a kind of painting, um a bunch of paintings which someone finds and the kind of it's a bit horrory with the kind of psychological impact it has and people who look at it type thing. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know. I just it didn't it didn't quite click for me. So it's oh, I'm going to go back and finish it. But yeah, it's it, it didn't grab me as much as I was hoping. As much uh, based on how much I enjoyed Nightcrawler. Is that on Netflix? Yes, yes. I think it's a Netflix original type film. All oh, right, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, and last TV series that you've watched or are watching? So I am currently watching Rectify, um, which oh, yeah. is uh-huh. quite good. It's like a, about a guy who is who gets released from death row in the first episode, and um, in a kind of small town in America. And it's about you know the, the reaction him coming home and whether or not he actually did the crime, and the DA in the background getting the case. Are they going to prosecute him again? Are they going to let it drop? You know, so, so it's always that all oh, the politics of of that crashing together and if he's innocent then is the killer still out there type thing it's good it's it's quite a slow slow burner and the main character's not the most sympathetic character like he's he's obviously really badly affected and you get flashbacks from what it was like in prison and it's a horrible time as you can imagine but um yeah it's not the he's not the easiest person to sympathize for and he often does he walks in the stupid situations and you're like i can you just know this is a stupid thing to do, and you kind of watch it unfold. So it's quite frustrating sometimes, but it's good. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah, I think it. Nick Cornby told us that that was. Did he not say that was his favorite? Yeah, show someone. I was trying to think. Was it him or was yeah. it Alex Garland? I can't uh, remember. Someone okay. did. You're right. It might yeah, be Nick no. Cornby. Yeah, I spoke to so many famous people. It's hard to track. <laughs> One of our many guests. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Check back. That <laughs> um, uh, okay. Well, uh, um, and then this is normally your bit, but. Uh, at the very end of the podcast, we like to ask an either or, no right answers, apart from one. Oh, but we know the answer I'm to that already. So, True Detective or Mayor of Easttown? Oh, uh, True Detective, I think, probably. Uh, TV or cinema? Cinema. Uh, fancy restaurant or takeaway? Oh, takeaway, I think. Night Owl or Early Bird? Uh, night Owl, absolutely. Dreadful in the morning, especially now. <laughs> um, and we all know if I said real book, e-book, we would absolutely <laughs> say e-book. So I'm going to say... Oh, I'm I, need, say, I need a chance to swing the books a little bit here. <laughs> and, well, you still have a chance to book okay. for e-book. E-book or audiobook? Oh, that's a closer one. But yeah, audiobooks definitely definitely have a, have a place as I've... Say especially now I'm enjoying them a lot, but no ebooks I think has to has to be has just to win for the, the convenience factor in your throw in your pocket. You can read them on your phone, just fantastic. And if you want, you've even got 
to listen to them when to you're walking li- about. But, but you've got you've got that monotonous robot voice who can read all your books for you. Oh, yeah, so um, what's the problem? Yeah, who, need, who, who needs to pay for a fancy author? Also, I think if you buy, can you not? I'm sure if you buy a book on Kindle, you can normally upgrade it to Audible. Yeah, you can. I've done like it a few times, a like a few quid. quid yeah, because like normally that. you buy a book, like an Audible book, and it's like 20 quid, 15, 20 yeah. quid. But I think, yeah, you're right. If you buy the book on Kindle, often it's like under a fiver, I think, to add on the. Yeah, Audible, Audible is, is definitely the way that I. And, it, and, and I, do, I like how it syncs up, so you can start on the Kindle and then you can listen to the audio yeah, version and it's go good back on to that Kindle. And it's all, well, yeah. You're always at the same point. It's a kind of seamless experience. Yeah, no, I've, I've got very much into audiobooks in the last uh, 18 months or so. I wonder yeah. why that would be. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, thanks very much, Tarek. Thanks for coming on to this podcast. Very kind. I hope you'll come back onto this podcast. I might pop in next week actually to see how we chat with someone. (laughs) Well, you'll be on your own because this is the last episode of the current season. I'm away holding next week. What am I talking about? (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, this is the last episode in the current season. We will be taking just a few weeks off, but we already have some great guests Mm. lined up for next season. So, Please do take the time to check out the back catalogue if you enjoyed this episode. We have had some great guests on, as Tarek alluded to. And if you enjoyed this episode or any episode, uh, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you listen to. That would be great. And if, well, Tarek, I'll let you do your usual ending. (laughs) If anyone has any questions or comments, they can always get in touch by sending us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at right underscore gear or an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk. But otherwise, have a great few weeks, and we'll see you at the next episode. See you later.